in the whole pregnancy, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what was going to happen to Jethro. We didn't know if he was going to be born alive. We didn't know if, you know, if he was going to be born and then stop breathing straight away. We, we just, they couldn't tell us anything. I really wanted to meet him and say hello and look into his eyes before I had to say goodbye. That was my prayer. You know, if I had to say goodbye, I wanted to say hello first. You actually have to believe in something that makes you look like an idiot. We all have strengths and we all have struggles. Of course I love you. And Jay just looked at me and said, not the real me. Held in a dungeon for 165 days, not knowing when we were going to be set free. God remains present in all of it. Legitimately suffering. Focus on living. Don't focus on not being sick. There really is um, blessedness in brokenness. This is a broken hallelujah. And this is episode 13. Welcome back. If you're rejoining us, uh, we're so glad that you're continuing to listen in to A Broken Hallelujah. Uh, and welcome if this is your first time. Uh, we're glad that you are with us for the podcast. Um, lots of great stuff taking place today. But before I jump into um, this episode, I just want to give you some big news. Uh, I'm going to be pausing the podcast for a couple of months. In fact, for August and September, we won't be releasing uh, any uh, new episodes. Uh, the reason being is I'm actually uh, going to be jumping on a plane in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, travel, could you believe, uh, to the Middle East. I'm going to be uh, flying to uh, spend time in Egypt and Jordan for a film project that I'm a part of. Uh, and we'll be uh, filming on location through all of uh, pretty much all of August into September. Uh, and um, so, yeah, with the quarantine on the back end of that as well, uh, means that I probably won't get around to um, editing up uh, the episodes that we've already recorded or recording any new uh, episodes until. Uh, probably midway through September. So I'm hoping we will kick back into the podcast with a whole bunch of new interviews um, in October. Uh, that's the plan at the moment. So I uh, just wanted to give you guys a heads up on the pause. Please don't unsubscribe during the time. I'd love for you to stick around as part of this community. Uh, again, I know that so many of you are being blessed by what we're doing here uh, through a broken hallelujah. So uh, uh, although we're pausing for a couple of months, I hope that uh, you guys will be all rejoining uh, me in October. Uh, this episode, um, we get to spend some time uh, chatting with an incredible woman based in New Zealand. Her name's Misty Prinson. Uh, and Misty and her husband, Arthur, have really, for me, modeled what it is to um, broaden uh, the concept of home and family. Um, they've dedicated their lives, really, to fostering adoption, uh, to, to welcoming in um, children from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, different cultures, into their family. Uh, it's quite an incredible thing that they have done. Uh, and in the midst of this, uh, I've also had some of their own biological children. Um, but today's episode is connecting with Misty around the journey that she had in uh, terms of one of her pregnancies. Um, and um, there was some uh, bad news about that pregnancy quite early on. And the whole process 
for her of how she journeyed in really rethinking for herself what the value of life is, what family truly is, um, how to walk uh, in a process of walking with a child with disabilities, um, and all of the challenges that come along with that. And um, Misty is really open uh, and vulnerable in this episode, sharing something quite personal. I know that uh, for many people listening in, um, you know, the the issues of children and family, uh, pregnancy, um, abortion, um, miscarriage, um, all of the things that go around uh, the creation of a biological family, um, all of that uh, might uh, connect with a number of people listening. And so uh, as I was kind of planning out the sort of interviews I wanted to be doing on this podcast, uh, this particular topic was one that I was drawn to that I think um, connects uh, with a lot of people that might be listening. So um, I'm going to let Misty uh, really tell the majority of her story. But throughout this podcast, we talk about interesting uh, kind of reflections around uh, how we do value life, um, reflections around what to do in in the case of learning about a child that has disabilities in pregnancy, um, all of the kind of, you know, pros of cons of thinking through um, what that might do for life and in changing um, the prospect of um, not just a child's life, but also the life of the family that brings that child into the world. And so um, Misty has so many interesting insights into that. Um, and I know that you're going to be really blessed by um, her passion, her heart, um, and the way that she's processed that with her incredible relationship with Jesus. So uh, without any ado, here's my conversation with Misty Princeton. Well, hey, uh, Misty, welcome to A Broken Hallelujah. I'm so glad that you can uh, join us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to jump into your story because um, it's one that we actually haven't covered on this podcast. We haven't um, kind of talked about um, this particular issue we're going to be digging into today. Um, but before we get into that, um, obviously, majority of people on the podcast probably don't know you or your background. Uh, can you start by just telling us a little bit about who you are, uh, like where you're based, uh, w- what it is you do, and, and, and your family? Tell us a little bit about your, your family situation. Okay. Um, as, as you said, I'm Misty, and I'm based in Auckland, New Zealand. I'm married to Arthur, and I have, um, at the moment, five children at home. We have Luke, who's 29, that we adopted from Hong Kong. We have Sienna, 18, Mateo, 15, Troy, who's a new member of our family. We um, permanently placed him in New Zealand, and he is under our guardianship. And now we have another little boy who's been living with us in a foster care situation and for two and a half years, and he's about to go off to his new family. Um, so basically, I'm a foster mum at home. Which is huge. <laughs> I mean, you have a, <laughs> you have an age gap of 29 years to, to two and a half years, <laughs> which is oh, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> um, and, and you're not just a, a, a – well, not just a foster mum. Obviously, that's an amazing thing in and of itself. Um, but obviously, Luke um, uh, is a child with disabilities. Um, can you tell us a little bit about his background and the journey that you guys have had there? Luke was born at 23 weeks in Hong Kong. 23 um, weeks. 23 weeks, I think 23 weeks and seven days, it actually says. So really, that's nearly 24 weeks. Yeah, yeah. And um, he spent his first year in hospital 
I think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then he was trans and then he was transferred to an orphanage where he spent another couple or two or three years. And then um then he was transferred again to Mother's Choice where he met Arthur and right. me later on. Uh, Luke is um blind and um autistic. And that's uh, that's that's obviously been uh, quite a journey for you guys. But um, I mean, I, I uh, just for disclosure to those that are listening, I know Arthur and Misty very well. Uh, my wife and I have been uh, a part of their friendship circles for many years, um, so have seen Luke grow. I can't believe Luke's twenty nine. I haven't seen him for a number of years, but um, but yeah, uh, what was the journey like for you guys in terms of adapting to a child that was blind? Was that something that you were familiar with before Luke came into your lives, or is that something that kind of turned your lives a little bit upside down? Um, I, I it was never. Um, I was never familiar with that, but it was, um, it, I don't know, it just, it, it didn't turn our life up too much. He just sort of slotted in with us. Right. And um, we just learned a lot through him, really. We've learned a lot about autism. We've learned a lot about blindisms and just all that, all that, um, it, the, all that went with it, actually. In fact, to us, Luke was normal, really until the other children came along and then we realised how um, how far beyond, uh, behind in his development he really was. Right, right. So he was normal to us, you know. Mm. And, <laughs> and I absolutely love that because I think, you know, um, when I think of you guys, I think of um, two people that have um, really – I guess, drawn the boundaries of family way broader um, than how most people would. Um, yeah. And and you guys have, um, you know, opened your home um, throughout your lives to to children with disabilities or children um, who need to be adopted or orphan care, foster care. Um, and again, like I think a lot of people um, end up sort of keeping their families very close and tight knit. You guys have spread your tent, if you will, uh, very wide. Um, what what has been some of the reasons for that? Why why have you guys always kind of approached family in in such broad terms, or is it something that perhaps has happened um, along the way, and and God's just kind of been involved in that process for you? Like, do you, do you feel like you guys were always called as a couple to be serving? Um, I guess um, you know orphans, uh, those that don't have permanent families. I guess meeting in Mother's Choice in that kind of context as well. Um, like, you guys have always had a heart in that space, and was that just a natural thing for your marriage? Yeah, I think so. From a very early age, <clears throat> my grandmother used to knit singlets for little poor children overseas, and I had no idea what that meant. Right, but that made a big. Um, a big impact on me and um and I also had an ongoing dream as a young child it was like a nightmare of children living in the street and okay. in the morning a horse and cart would come and pick them up and the ones that had died and go and dump them and it was a real a real nightmare of something that was happening that I didn't know about right and I also had a real heart for um I thought I thought I was going to end up in an um, orphanage in South America, which I've right. never been to, but I've always had that sort of heart to just work with children and, and that that we're in need, I think. Mm, mm. And so when I met Arthur in the orf- you know, in the orphanage and he had a similar heart, it just sort of, you know, just went hand in hand. And also meeting Arthur and knowing Luke came as a package deal. Right, was, right. It sort of just went hand in hand. Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting for me to kind of think about that because I think you know we're we're going to go into in in a moment, a second about you know your your journey with with Jethro, your son, and that whole story. That's um, kind of what we want to really zero in on today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in many ways, God perhaps prepared you guys for what you were about to face with Him um, mm-hmm. through perhaps just you know f- this sense of calling to children, the sense of calling to care. Um, the sense of like, you know, defining the boundaries of your family broader than how most would. Um, wh- why don't we just kind of jump into the story a little bit? Um, and um, maybe you could take us back. And uh, obviously, it happened a number of years ago. So you can maybe set the context of the story um, and then begin to kind of share with us what, what happened for you in that pregnancy, uh, your journey with that. And uh, yeah, I'll ask you some questions along the way. Um, it was in 2000. And, um he was born in 2008, so it must have been 2007 that we got pregnant with Jethro um, after having my two other older children. Um, and um, straight away, actually, once I got pregnant with him, I had this real funny feeling that it wasn't going to go straight forward, this pregnancy. Right. And I thought I was just being paranoid. I mean, I didn't even tell Arthur I was pregnant until we're quite a few weeks in. Right. I just felt like I was going to miscarry. And then at six weeks after telling Arthur and my midwife that I was pregnant, basically the next day I started bleeding and I bled for four weeks. Oh, and wow. um, I, I thought I was miscarrying. Right. And it was halfway through those four weeks, so about two weeks in, I said to my midwife, I need to have a scan. I need to know what's left, you know, mm. to come out. Mm. And when we went for a scan, um, we got told – that there was a baby there of a healthy heartbeat, and both Arthur and I were gobsmacked. We were like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, really?" <laughs> yeah. And so it was after that that I got a group of friends to surround me, and we started praying for the bleeding to stop, and it did stop. So, you know, that was that was you know the first eight weeks or nine weeks. Right. Right. Um, but I still had this funny feeling that. It wasn't all okay, but I didn't know if I was just being a paranoid or, you know, it was just, it was, yeah. So when we went for our 20-week scan, um, they told us that Jethro was not okay, that he had um, um, something that was wrong with his spine, he might have had one kidney, he had something wrong with his jaw, he might have had a cleft palate. They weren't quite sure, but there were all these little things that um, looked like it was wrong. Right. And straight away at that um, scan, the doctor came in to tell us, talk to us, and she basically implied that the termination was the only way that forward for us. So they came out with that almost straight away? Like it was. <laughs> basically, we were like, well, she was sort of hinting at it until Arthur said, well, what, what are you hinting at? And she was. And and it sort of said, look, if it's a termination, we're not interested. And wow. um, and then she basically ignored Arthur, and then turned to me and focused on me the whole time, you know, because I'm the mother. It was me. I should have right. to say, not my husband. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and and what was that like? I mean, for you, I mean, obviously with a Christian background, um, I I guess uh, you know abortion wasn't something that you guys uh, naturally would consider. Yeah. But 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 you know when you hear the list of challenges that your child was going to be facing, 
Um, talk me through it. Was there ever any sort of sense that that's something you at least needed to reflect on or was it just kind of like, no, nah, that's never an option? Oh, no, I had to reflect on it. For Arthur, it was a no option. Yeah. But for me, I know it was mainly only in that day. I just had to really think about it. Was I being fear to bring a baby into the world that could be just in pain the whole time? Yeah. You know, was was I being fear? Was it was it a right thing to do? You know, and so I remember driving in the car because I had a hair appointment that afternoon, and I was just saying, God, I just don't know what to do. You know, I really don't know if I'm being fear bringing him into the world, letting him live. And Jethro, who would have only been really tiny at the time, punched me really hard in the stomach. Really? It was like, yeah, it was like he was saying, I'm here and I want to live. You know, I'm here. Keep me where I am. And I knew at that moment that I had to give him a chance that he was he was in there and he was going to fight. So I just thought, no, I've got to give this. I can't terminate. I didn't think I could, but it was just a real, <clears throat> just made it obvious to me that I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Well, that's yeah. a that's a that's a that's a pretty amazing thing that you know in that moment he responded to you uh, in that sense of fighting. And I think this this idea of fighting becomes, if I remember back to the time, you know, to that time, um, you know, Chris and I obviously were were in Auckland at that time and and we're uh, spending quite a bit of time with you guys. Um, I think this idea of of Jethro being a fighter became quite quite an important anchor point for you guys in the story yeah. tell us a little bit about that he just he seemed to want to be there he he oh, the whole way through he he could have gone many times um but when when my stomach got too tight or when oh they just told us he could go any times throughout the pregnancy but he seemed to be determined to stay um Every time we had a scan after that initial first one, every time he'd cover his mouth with his hands or he'd his face with his hands or he'd put his head into the my into the uterus wall so they could never get a perfect picture of his chin and of what was happening in there. Okay. So it was like it was almost like he was saying, I'm more than this. Don't look at don't look at this bit of me. I'm way much more than just disability. What this this bit that you think I, I'm not perfect in. So what so, was it? What was it about his? So so was the chin an issue? Was that something that? Because you you said earlier there was a whole bunch of different things, but yeah, um, the biggest the thing they they didn't think he had a lower jaw, so they thought okay. he was missing his lower jaw. So they were try every time we had a scan, they were trying to see what was developing there and what was his face looking like right. and to sort of giving them ideas of what was going to happen at birth or if he lived what they'd have to do hmm. and things like that but he he would never let them have a clear picture he would wow. never he just wouldn't show it and even when he was born he had his hand on his chin that's that's unbelievable right so it's almost as if he yeah, like you say, he was trying to trying to say something like, "This is not the determining factor of who I am." So, so each time you, you just said, it, each time you went for a scan, you learned something new, or a diagnosis would come of like, "Okay, there's this extra thing wrong," or mm. like, um, "Did you guys have more more frequent scans than it than perhaps in a, a mainstream pregnancy?" Um, and what was it like for you in terms of your emotions, like every time you went to do that? Every uh, the whole journey was really emotional. 
that every time you went into a scan or went into the hospital because we were under specialist care, um, it was just, yeah, it was it was just really hard work. It was just just learning either new things about him or learning um, all the doctors telling us what they thought was going to happen or not going to happen. Right. Or, um, but not even that, not just that. I was just reading today, I was looking in my diary, and I was just reading today about sitting in there watching other couples come out of the specialist office in tears. And they've just, you know, they just learnt the, the fate of their babies and then going into the delivery suite and obviously having to give birth right then. Right. Um, so the, I was feeling trauma, but I was feeling everybody else's trauma as well. Yeah. I was sitting in there watching people. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm even overwhelmed with emotion just, you know, rehearing this story because I'm, I'm trying to think like um, th- this must have been such a personal journey for you. Um, I mean, here's a son developing inside of you. Um, it's quite obvious that there are some things that are quite seriously wrong that you've had to wrestle with. Um, obviously, do I, do I keep him? Do I not? Um, you made the decision to. He's fought for his life. Um, I guess how did you sort of start thinking about what delivering this child was going to be like? What what raising this child was going to be like? I mean, um, you know, you you shared earlier with Luke. You know, you were already quite um, used to um, you know raising a child that had some special needs. But I suppose Jethro's special needs, at least on paper, were were way more severe than Luke's. Yeah. Um, what was that journey like for you and Arthur in terms of just processing, like, what's it going to be like for us as a as a mother and father to raise a child like this? And can we even raise a child? Did you ever have any thoughts of like, I don't know if we're cut out for this. I don't know if we're the right parents for this child. No, never. Because I, I guess we just, <laughs> we were hoping for a miracle. We were hoping and believing that God could completely turn this pregnancy right, right, right round, and that we could deliver a, a baby that was going to be perfect in every way. And we right. held on to that belief the whole way through. I mean, there were definitely doubts, and there were definitely um, we had so many people praying for us yeah. that that there would be this amazing miracle. But I don't, I don't think we thought much about. Um, the whole um, giving birth to him and having him at home because we either completely believed that we'd have this amazing miracle or, as the doctors kept telling us, that he would either die within the womb or as soon as he came out, he would pass away. So, you know, we hadn't really thought about, um, got to that part about bringing home a child with disabilities. Talk, talk to me. Talk to me about what it's like to sit with this tension, because I think this is really interesting. Between you know the incredible faith you felt at the time to pray for a miracle, which is really what you were asking for, right? It's like mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, the scans, the doctors—they're telling us this story, um, but there's another story we can believe in faith for for Jethro. Um, so you see, so you got this kind of incredible passion and, and faith for God to do what only God can do, mm. and yet on the other side. Obviously, having to at least face the reality that the doctor story uh, might be the story, and you know the miracle won't take place. And like, how did how did you handle like 
that journey of faith? Because I think a lot of people uh, maybe listening to the podcast, you know, and maybe they're going through some sort of um, traumatic experience in their life and they've got a prayer for a miracle. And yet there's these doubts that sort of come in, like you've just mentioned. Um, Do you think there's a balance there? Like, or do you think it's like, I'm all out for the miracle and I'll handle it if it doesn't happen? Or did you guys have some sort of sense of like, you know, we're actually okay with either outcome. God just give us strength in the process. Tell us a little bit about how you wrestle with that tension. I think initially we just wanted the miracle. Initially we could completely believe in a miracle. Initially I was bagging with God. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, bargaining with him and saying, you know, I read in my diary today, I'll do anything for you, God. I'll do anything if you let this child live. And then my question after that was like God saying to me, really, Missy, you'll do anything for me? And then I just <laughs> left my diary then and I just laughed when I read it today. I was like, oh, yes, would I do anything for you? Right, right, um, right. And, and yeah, we were just so focused on this miracle that, you know, it's like, God, you can do this. You can do this. But as the pregnancy went on, um, I oh, we definitely had our ups and our downs. Yeah. And I think, and the doctors kept on saying, you know, it wasn't, it, it was going to be, it wasn't going to work out how we wanted it to work out. Yeah. Um, I think we just, you know, started um, thinking about if he goes, if he goes, if he doesn't make it. What does that mean? And I think my prayer to God was, okay, Lord, if he doesn't go, I mean, if he, if, if you don't heal him in the way I want you to heal him, mm. I want to meet him as a full-term baby. Because they were telling me that I'd probably get to about 30 weeks or less and go into spontaneous labor. Right. But um, Which I didn't. I got to 39 weeks and they induced me. Because wow. I couldn't cope with it any longer. I was, I was, my measurement was like I was carrying full term of triplets. So, yes, I remember this. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. yeah, you were, you were. I don't want to use the word massive because that's you know, I, I but you were massive. a large person. <laughs> you, you had a big belly. <laughs> I, I remember was completely that. Completely large. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, it was just. I guess, in, in knowing we had a lot of people around us praying for this miracle, that carried us a lot. So when I was having my doubts and having my, is this actually going to happen, God? Um, You're not listening to me, God. You don't love me anymore, Lord. What have I done wrong? What are we doing wrong? You know, and then having my big pity parties. And then the next day I'd be like, okay, no, I can do this. I believe you've got it. You know, and if it doesn't turn out the way that we want it to turn out, I just um, have to believe that your will will be done, you know? And, um, And that's what I just read again today that, I, I, I part halfway through or nearly two thirds of the way through, I just gave, I just, it said is, um, was it Hannah gave her baby to God who, who wanted to have her baby and gave him to Eli. Was yeah. that Hannah? Yeah, Hannah yeah. yeah. I'd read that in the scripture and I just re- had written down, okay, God, I give you Jethro. And if you need to take him, then he's yours. So, but, but I kept on trying to, you know, I still wanted him whole. But I was ready to let go if he wanted to take him. This is, um, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's such a, I think that's such a profound journey to get to, um, where it's kind of like you know, in some ways, like without sort of overplaying a metaphor, it's almost like the Garden of Gethsemane kind of moment. You know, it's like Jesus, I really don't want the cross, but I want your will over my comfort. Um, and and it kind of feels like you you. 
you had to get to that place. It was almost like God God had to get you to that place, perhaps, where you were like, here's my heart's desire. I do want him whole. I want to raise this child. I want to love him and, and have him in my life. And yet, ultimately, you know, you know, Lord, what it is that you want to do with Jethro's life and submitting yourself to God's will in that. Um, I think that's um, lessons like that don't come from, you know, your 2.5 kids with a white picket fence kind of Christianity, right? Like yeah. those those kinds of journeys with faith come through what you guys have been experiencing, what you went through. Did you did you find that that then gave you a sense of peace? I'm sure that didn't make everything perfect, but did that give you a sense of peace that you could then at least take into you into those last few weeks of pregnancy? Yeah, it did. I, I just really prayed for a um, tangible, a tangible peace. Mm. I really felt that peace. It was just, it did surround us. And we did, you know, the last few weeks of pregnancy were really, really hard work. And um, I was just so big and I couldn't sleep and I was so uncomfortable and my ribs were really sore because of the pressure of, you know, the fluid and everything like that. Yeah. But just, just knowing that, we were being carried by God. We were being carried. We were being carried by the prayers at church, just friends all around the world were praying. And we just really felt that we were being carried and um, and that we could just rest, rest knowing that God, God had the answer and God knew what he was doing. What yeah. was the... Um... Let's talk about the moment of if you don't if, if you're if you're okay with it. Uh, yeah. Talk about the moment of the the delivery. Obviously, um, you just mentioned you were induced at 39 weeks. Um, what, what? Well, actually, what? I wasn't. I okay. actually wasn't. Actually, what happened is I got to 39 weeks in about four days. I said to my midwife, "I can't do this anymore. I can't." I was having sleeping tablets and Pamol to try to you know stop the pain and help me sleep and I wasn't eating I was vomiting because I couldn't keep food down and I said I couldn't do this anymore so they booked me in for an abduction right. and the next day I went in but I remember friends saying what can we pray for and you know I, I you know I said I could pray for a live baby mm-hmm. but also pray that I get to do this myself that I go into spontaneous labor and wow. um and that was really amazing actually we were in the hospital we'd gone and they talked about draining me again because I was so full of fluid. Last time, mm. the last time that they drained fluid out of me, they drained ten liters out of me. So wow. they were t- talking about they had to do that first because if my waters broke, um, the baby could turn, could twist, I could placenta could come away. I might have to have a Caesar, and there was no way that the specialist wanted to do a cesarean on me. Right. So um, I, I remember them telling me all this in the hospital and saying, well, you're going to have a drain, but you have to wait a couple of hours. But if you go into labor before then, we won't drain you. And um, they all, you know, they did all the pre-med work they had to do and they walked out. And within a couple of minutes, I started vomiting. And Arthur goes, what's wrong? And I said, I'm in labor. It's just happened just like that. And so when they came back in about 10 minutes later, I was like minutes apart. I was just having such strong contractions and it was like a real answer <laughs> to prayer. And so, so they broke my waters then right. and, um, and it, um, held the baby. One specialist held the baby in place while the midwife um, broke my waters but held his head up so he wouldn't gum gushing out. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. 
So that was that all worked really well and really nicely. But it was like half an hour later that my waters broke completely. Right. And it was like a huge gush of 10 litres. Arthur said it was like fire hydrants bursting <laughs> all over the place. Right. And then wow. I went I went really dizzy and they had to call the whole emergency team. In. And Arthur said that everyone was putting things on me and cleaning up the floor and everything. Mm-hmm. And then they all left as quickly as they arrived. <laughs> so, yeah. so we think we think in that last um, lot of um, what breaking of waters and the gush that Jethro's heart probably stopped then. So yeah. So, but we didn't know because we refused them to um, put monitors on him because I didn't want to know whether he was still alive or not. Okay. Yeah. What, why was that? Because I don't know if I could have continued <laughs> trying to push him out. Right, right. You know, knowing that, you know, I was still hoping that he would come out alive. I was still yeah. hoping that I'd get to, I really, I really wanted to meet him and say hello and look into his eyes before I had to say goodbye. That was my prayer. You know, if I had to say goodbye, I wanted to say hello first. So, um, yeah, so we didn't want to know. You know, he was a, he, he was alive when I was sitting just before I went to labor. I could feel him moving. Right. But, yeah. But, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. And then and, it was about, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go on. Go on. I was going to say, and then it was about, um, I think I had 18 minutes of pushing. So about 18 minutes, 20 minutes later, um, I gave birth to him. And I remember him coming out in the mid, him coming part way out and the midwife was saying, yeah, he definitely doesn't have a jaw. And then when I pushed him out, she said, yes, he's gone. And yeah, I I really remember that he's gone. (laughs) That's not the best bedside manner I've ever heard. Oh, but she she was lovely. She was the best <laughs> wife ever. Okay. And then I and then I sort of said, um, "Is he really?" I said, "Is he really dead?" And my friend who was in there with us said, "Yes, Misty, he's gone." So, yeah. Wow. And so then they gave him to me to hold. She asked if I wanted to hold him, and of course I did. Yeah. And yeah. I just held him, and then apparently Arthur was killed up on the bed beside me, just sobbing his heart out as well, because. A miracle didn't happen. Yeah. And um, how how did you um, yeah, how did you guys process the aftermath of that? Um, obviously, you you know, in some ways, there's this joy that you were able to embrace him after such time, even though mm. he had passed. Um, obviously, the the mourning, um, the grief. Um, yeah, what was. What was the next day or so like for you? Oh, it was actually, it was really hard. But on the other on one side, it was a real relief. Right. We actually, we actually knew what was happening. The whole pregnancy, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what was going to happen to Jethro. We didn't know if he was going to be born alive. We didn't know if, you know, if he was going to be born and then stop breathing straight away. We yeah. just they couldn't tell us anything so when he was born and he had passed away it was a relief a to give birth and b to finally have our answer so um yeah yeah and i think those first few days it was it was really hard work but we had um we took him home with us and had him at home which was really lovely 
And um, it was the two little children that the senior and Matteo, they were like two and four at the time. They were, just played with him. They dressed him. They changed his nappy. They brushed his hair. They cuddled it, kissed him, dragged him around the house. And it just, I think it just made it really, oh, yeah, he made it really real, you know. But yeah. It also was really I mean, it, normal. It was kind of normal. <laughs> so so th- this is really interesting because I, I remember, um, you, you know, you guys telling us this at the time. Um, and, and I think for a lot of people listening, they'll be like, you did what? Like you brought your dead child home um, and allowed your kids to, you know, interact with, with him. I think a lot of people listening will be blown away by that decision. Can you, can you just talk us through, you know, what your, what, I mean, you kind of just said that, you know, you wanted it to be something that was normal, but what was your thinking here? Oh my goodness. I was never going to leave him at hospital and I was never going to let um, somebody from a funeral parlor come and take him away. He was my baby. And as far as I felt, he was still there. You know, he was he was passed away, but he was still there, you know. And I'd had him for nine months in my womb. There was no way that he, he was going to leave my arms anytime soon. So wow. for both of us, we and we just had to be able to love him. Even yeah. though he was gone, we just needed to be able to love him and embrace him and have him with us, close to us. So... And it was really good, really good for the children. Really, Matteo can't really remember it, but Sina's got lots of memories. Yeah. And then their friends would come and visit, and the kids would take them into the bedroom, and they'd all sit around the bed where Jethro was in his Moses basket, and they'd all talk to him and sing to him and touch him and cuddle him. And it was just it was so lovely. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and obviously, eventually, um, I guess there, there was a, a burial, um, yeah. and, and that happens. Um, uh, you know, wh- I guess what was that like? I mean, obviously, of course, <laughs> I'm sure there was grief and everything. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a silly question, but, um, but I guess what I'm trying to draw out of you is like, um, again, like you mentioned that there was some finality in sort of the birth and having a decision made, um, was the burial a similar thing? Was it like, this is an important chapter in our family and an important chapter in sort of moving, maybe not moving on cause you never move on, but just no. kind of moving into a new chapter together as a family. Oh yeah, we had to celebrate him. So having to having to have a service for him and and celebrate his life, even though his life was only in the swimming pool in my womb, we had to we had to celebrate him, and we had a lot to celebrate, you know, and a, a lot of happy memories and a lot of a lot of just things to share, and I guess and to share with others our journey of having him in the womb and why we went this way and the scriptures and what God spoke to us about and how we dealt with it and how, you know, just everything that went with it, we needed to celebrate and share him with other people. I love so, that. Yeah. Talk, yeah. Talk, to, talk to me a little bit about um, the faith element here. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've touched on this throughout your story, but um, I'm, I'm curious to kind of like, I'm curious to kind of find out, 
a little bit around sort of how your faith perhaps has been changed through this experience. Um, did you learn something about God that you didn't know beforehand? Um, did your kind of relationship with him shift at all um, now that you reflect back on where you are today versus then? Like, tell me a little bit about sort of the development of your faith and your your kind of interaction of faith in this. I, I learned through this how much he loved me, how much he completely loved me. And I didn't doubt that. I knew he was with me this whole time. And I think it just, yeah, I definitely, my faith in him has changed since then. And I completely believe that whatever happens and whatever's thrown our way now, he is totally in control. And he's got it. Yeah. He's got it. And mm. whatever happens, he's got it. He's not surprised for it. Right? He's still on the throne. He's still there. And he's he's got every step of our, our our life, you know. And so when things happen now, I just think, oh, you've got it, God. You, you know, we've we've been through one of the most traumatic things in our life, and and we got through it. So I know we'll get through. I'll get through whatever else you throw at me. Wow. Um. Yeah. So, and I and I think a profound thing that I I read in my diary over and over was that he he. I had I had to sacrifice my son, but he had to sacrifice his son too. So he wasn't asking me to do something he hadn't done. So he he, he had to let go of Jesus, and so he knew grief. So what I had to go through, he had already been through. Does that make sense? That's amazing. Honestly, like the fact that you could, yeah, the fact that you could kind of look at your own pain and grief and bring it into relationship with Christ's pain and grief or God's pain and grief. And that's amazing to me that, that yeah, that must have been quite a profound um, personal relationship with Jesus and God in that for yeah. you emotionally, right? Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he's never been, um, for me, God on a throne just sitting there looking down at me. Yeah. He's, he's definitely been somebody I've yelled it. I screamed it. I've sworn it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and but you know I've always felt that he's big enough. <laughs> I used to say it's a bit wrong, but I used to say he's big enough and ugly enough to cope with that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, he created me. He can cope with me swearing at him and in the shower and yelling at him and you know and things like that. Things I wouldn't say to my kids or my husband. I can say to him. You know. Right. Right. And then I feel so much better afterwards because because <laughs> <laughs> he's big enough to handle it, and he's he's heard big it. Enough to handle it. He created me the way I am. This is who I am, and um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Hey, just just as we draw this to a close, um, what would be, you know, there might be some people listening to this now where, um, you know, yeah, they're in their own infertility journey or or there's something happening for them. And, um, you know, what, what would be some things that you might say just uh, as words of advice or just words of uh, encouragement for anyone um, who might be going through either a similar journey or some sort of form of struggle in their life? Um, is there anything that you could share that might bring some encouragement? You've got it. You know, God's with God. If you've got God as part of your journey, then you've got it. It might be still really hard and it's hard to cope with, but you know you've got this 
this somebody to fall back into. It's not like you're doing it by yourself. Um, but also, it's your own journey. You don't have to compare your decisions and what you decide to do or how, or what you, to, to um, what anybody else has has done. You don't have to carry guilt that um, you're not doing the same as somebody else or you're not doing the right thing. Whatever you choose to do and however you um, um, whatever you choose to do in your journey or in your decisions, you've just got to believe it's the right decision for you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that would be super helpful for some people who are listening in. Uh, Misty, look, I'm I'm so grateful um, that you would take the time to talk to us on this podcast. I, I know kind of going back into a story like that and into a, a journey for you guys that was obviously very deeply personal and still is, uh, is not an easy thing to do. So um, I just want to say thank you for being willing to, to talk with us today. And thank you for opening up your story in such a kind of open and vulnerable way that you have. Hey, Misty, thanks again so much for being with us today. Um, and thank you for opening up your beautiful story. And uh, we're cheering you guys on as you continue to build an eclectic and beautiful family there in New Zealand. <laughs> thank you. There we have it, episode 13, and uh, so grateful for Misty. Thanks so much, Misty, for uh, allowing us uh, to enter into that journey, uh, that very personal journey for you and your family. Um, and I'm sure the insights are going to be a blessing to many listening. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm somewhat emotional, you know, uh, emotional listening to Misty's story once again, but also emotional thinking uh, that this is it for a couple of months. Um, uh, I won't be uh, recording or editing anything. If you are if you missed or skipped through the beginning, uh, we're taking a two-month break in August and September as I'm uh, going to be in the Middle East for a film project. Um, so we'll be picking up and relaunching uh, the podcast in October. I've got some great interviews that are already uh, done and in the bag. I've got some great ones lined up uh, some really interesting kind of different stories to bring to you guys that I know is going to be really a, a huge blessing so uh, that'll be coming up in in uh, October uh, I'll still be checking my emails checking my Instagram and all of that so do reach out uh, any comments on any of the episodes or any suggestions you might have for future uh, people to interview I would still love to hear from you um, but otherwise God bless everyone be safe be well and we'll connect again in October <laughs>